Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant, and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you seeking to put the kapow back in your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundy with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show has been designed to open your mind and turn intelligence into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. Happy spring, everyone. I hope you all feel as fresh as a daisy. It's petal power time, but it's also time for spring cleaning and the season of sneezing. This month, our theme will be out with the old, in with the new, and we will focus on technology and innovation masterclasses from the best tech entrepreneurs and innovators to give us insight where we need to start planting our seeds to reap the blossoms for the seasons to come. I'm super excited to have Stafford Macy as our guest today, um, ex-Googler, but also tech entrepreneur, multimillionaire, father, son, and much more. And a warm welcome to you, Stafford. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very, awesome. very pleased. Beautiful studio. I'm glad that you're enjoying yeah. it. It's very innovative. Hey, it's don't fun. you love the it's container? Fun. It's fun. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so uh, I recently saw you at the My Future 4.0 mm -hmm. conference, and when I saw you um, speak and hear how your mind works, I actually gave you a standing ovation, which I don't give many people. Thank you. Amazing. So I thought that you could really bring a lot of sass to the show, so I'm going to just go off and um, take the bull by the horn. So how did you end up on the wave that you're riding? Tell us a little bit about the real staff at Macy and what brought you here. Yeah, I, uh, the real staff at Macy. I'm a, I'm a family man. Um, that's my number one priority in my life is my wife and my kids. I have three daughters. I've got a 17-year-old, a 14, 15-year-old, and a two-year-old. And my wife wants another one now. So I'm, I'm, right now I'm all about my, my girls. And uh, I love hanging out with them and my day-to-day -day life. That's what I do. Um, present status, I'm retired. Um, but I do invest in technology companies. Um, I'm, I'm launching one right now called Gattaca. And I'm also, that's a, a kind of an internet of things, although I hate saying internet of things, and I promised myself I wouldn't say internet of things. Ah. Why do you hate yeah. saying that? Because I just don't think it's the way people use it. IoT, they just use it like cloud, like IoT. It's like, <laughs> shut up. Okay, it's, a, it's also like when people say fourth industrial revolution. Yeah. You know, I tweeted once, I don't know if I did or not, but I think I tweeted once, you know, every time someone says fourth industrial revolution, a beautiful, cuddly baby panda violently dies somewhere in the world. <laughs> Like it's just, <laughs> stop. I just see politicians keep saying fourth industrial revolution. It's like AI and people talk about AI and they talk about cloud. And I just don't think people have a full perspective and context when they you know, throw these terms around. But anyway, so Gattaca is one of these companies that's in a particular sphere working on a, a crypto exchange. Um, I just think that's a world that's quite interesting right now. And I think that's the next reboot of humanity. I think the internet was the last reboot, kind of late 90s. Yeah, we can go a little bit further back, but I think in terms of mainstream adoption from late 90s, early 2000s to where we are now, the internet was incredible. I think um, 
the whole notion of decentralization and blockchain and Bitcoin and these things, I think this is that next reboot. And I'm very, very excited about it. So I'm investing in a startup now um, in this particular space. And yeah, I'm just trying to be quiet. My wife wants me to slow down a little bit. And I think I need to slow down. I'm 44 now. Um, it's kind of like soccer players. I think tech entrepreneurs are kind of like soccer players. I think you get to your mid-30s to late-30s and you've got to be careful. You know, you've got to watch your health now. My wife's very much, Lisa Rally, she's very much in the health and fitness part of the world. And she makes sure that I stay healthy, etc. So that's kind of who I am today. Um, tech is in my blood. Um, I love entrepreneurship. I love uh, reading about it. I love, um, you know, just expropriating on it. And, uh, and I've been doing keynotes, a lot of keynotes, um, more so than I've done before. I've been doing keynotes and stand-ups and engagement sessions with CXOs mm. uh, because I get the question a lot, where's the world going? You know, what's going on? And uh, that question has become louder and louder and louder, more prominent. And today I'm standing in you know, manufacturing um, boardrooms speaking to manufacturers about this. I'm speaking to, you know, uh, health insurance companies. I'm speaking to banks. Where's the world going? What's going on? And I usually speak to the CXOs, the guys that don't want to ask the lower level stuff because they're a little bit shy asking the dumb questions. And I'll go in and I, I, I don't have a technological view per se. I have a view that's more of a humanities view on technology. Mm. I think to really, really understand technology, you really got to like delve into nature and take a look at human character. And I think that's where you kind of get to understand the leanings of technology. Technology does have leanings. I love what Kevin Kelly says. It says it's, it's something that has, you know, bits and bytes associated with it. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's ones and zeros. It's electricity. It's got leanings. It's got behavior patterns. It's, there's physics associated with it. So we can broadly, it's like a raindrop falling into a valley. We can broadly tell you the trajectory. You know, mm-hmm. We can tell you it's going to go downward, but we can't tell you exactly where it is. Like we could have predicted the telephone, but we couldn't have predicted the iPhone. You know, we could have predicted the internet, but we couldn't have predicted Google. Um, etc etc so so technology does have leanings and you can do some predictive aspects of it but I tend to tell people less about this is what's going to happen over the next few years I I talk about it more on a tectonic shift a societal shift basis and I think that's what fascinates me more about technology it's just watching what it does in society something very interesting that you you just has um, on is this whole noise thing happening. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of buzzwords are going around and you sometimes wonder, how do people actually get the signal out of this noise? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you how do you separate that? What mm-hmm. advice would you give um, people? Because, I mean, we have to understand the garden hype cycle, mm-hmm. you know, where things are sitting. I mean, if you talk about crypto... Um, currency, you know, there was a huge hype last year. Then mm-hmm. we've got the blockchain technology. That's something completely mm-hmm. different. How do you know it's not a hype? How do you know mm-hmm. this is the real deal? You should t- pay attention to it. I love Amara's law. Um, mm-hmm. This thing called Amara's law. You can Google it. She, she said, um, you know, we always overestimate the impact of technology in the short term, but we always underestimate its impact in the longer term. We saw this with the internet. You know, we had engineers running around with browsers in the late 90s telling on, news, on the news on CNN and people were looking at the web browser and everyone said, well, this is going to change the world. This is going to be big. This is going to be massive. We saw people IPOing, you know, web van, uh, $20 in the morning, $400 in the afternoon. We saw the crazy stuff. We overestimated it. Um, then we saw the, the trough of delusionment mm. where people see this is the bust. It's not really having the impact. Um, people question it. So, Come on, it's not really as real. It's not really as big. And then we go into what I call, you know, the we, we underestimate it. And then it has its broad societal impact. And if you take a look at what the internet's done, mm. I mean, look how big it is. Look at what it's done for communications. Look at what it's done to just, I mean, Arab Springs and mm. social media. And now we're dealing with the problem of fake news and what is real and what's not real. That question is so 
relevant today because of the pervasiveness of connectivity. Mm. You know, we used to speak just five, ten years ago. We spoke about being, um, you know, online, offline. Now you struggle to be offline. 100%. Like you actually, I have to go somewhere to get <laughs> offline. There's like resorts and little breakaway places where you go and they, there's no signal there. So it's we we that, because we constantly do that. We so so Bitcoin blockchain is undergoing the exact same thing. We saw it. We get engineers on stage. We get fascinated by people speaking about it. We overestimate its impact in the short term, but we this one we're underestimating greatly. This will be bigger than the internet. In terms of what wow. the internet did to humanity, I think this notion of decentralization, blockchain, Bitcoin, this will be bigger. This is bigger. Wow, this is so fascinating. Yeah. Um, how do you see, so, so based on that, how do you see industries and bus- the business world changing? Um, where do you think leaders should start focusing? And this is going to sound weird coming from a technologist like I am, but I think leadership today, the onus on them is to focus on humanity more than technology. Mm. So as much as it is a technological story today, it's actually more a story about humanity. Technology, uh, the inference of it, the consequence of it, its, its net effect is you've got to understand humans. So when I walk into boardrooms and I speak to CEOs, I always ask the question, what killed Kodak? You know, and, and it's, an, it's an interesting one. So Kodak declared bankruptcy about three years ago. Like, why? why did, and people say, well, this technology, or they say this thing. And I go, none of those things are actually true. Kodak had incredible engineers. They had incredible organic power, mm. right? They had um, the, the best optical PhDs. They had a patent arsenal that was incredible. They got great products and services and ecosystem. They had over 250,000 people working for them. And then they died. What killed them? And I think they, they what the leadership of Kodak did was exactly what leadership today needs to understand and they need to focus on. Don't focus on organic capability only. You mm. need to understand the pervasiveness of technology on the outside of your firewall. Mm. Results in you having to understand the consequence of that, mm. not it. So don't focus on the next you know, megabyte or the next connectivity set or the next technology set. The answer doesn't lie with your CIO. It doesn't lie with the, the technologist. What killed Kodak was us taking pictures. In respect of the technology, we didn't care how bad the quality was. What we cared more about as society was the ability to do that ourselves, number one. And number two is to have the like button clicked mm. on that picture. And that like button being clicked on that picture is the essence of social media. And the essence of social media is it's an expression of humanity. So technology's pervasiveness has resulted in us having the ability to express ourselves in ways that we still don't fully comprehend today. Mm. You know, and, and it speaks to who we are as humans. And, and the ability to click on a like button makes you... F- when someone clicks on a like button on your picture, how do you feel? You feel great. Mm-hmm. You feel amazing. Yeah. You feel recognized. You feel a part of. And that's exactly it. You are no different from the person that walked into a cave, put their hand on a wall, put clay in their mouth and spat. Mm. And the reason that they wanted to do that was a legacy. They wanted to not be forgotten. And that's our, the core element. So my, what I tell leadership today is just know Moore's law has surpassed you on the outside of your business. Mm. Uh, there's no way you can invest enough in technology. The story today is not an organic story. It's an ecosystem story. Um, the, the, because of the pervasiveness and the transversal impact and availability of incredible computing power and the architecture of it, the focus that leadership should have is how do we take this human expression capability, this, this latent human capital, mm and allow it to stream into the context of my business and service. So you, you can't build things that are great only today. That was industrial revolution. It was how high your building was, um, how big your brand was. That was okay. 
And then we moved um, to, well, culture, you know, so information worker, dissemination of information. And we said, no, knowledge workers. And then we said, wait, we have to be collaborative. We have to listen to our staff, to our customers. All of that stuff's okay. But mm. the most important thing right now is co-creativity. Because mm. people have technological power outside your business. Mm. And Joy's Law, Bill Joy came up with this notion that no matter who you are, no matter what you make, there are always smarter people on the outside of your business mm. than on the inside of your business. Um, and even more capable. Yeah. So technology's pervasiveness and what we see in society today, the opportunity for leaders is to harness this latent human capital mm. and allow people to feel recognized within the context of their brand service product, um, get attribution. And if you do that, you speak to someone's legacy. So the three attributes right now that drive strategy, that's very important because of technology's pervasiveness mm. is, is empathy. Mm-hmm. It's love. And the, lo- the empathy and love stands on three legs, in my opinion, of what I've been able to disseminate. And that is one is let people in so they can express themselves and give them attribution. Make them feel a part of your business. And that's, that's all they want. And the third thing is when you give them somewhere where they can put their name in the common field of the code, mm. when they can make a change, um, you know, that, that's legacy. Mm-hmm. So the, th- the three things are, number one, make people feel a part of. Number two is make people feel recognize, give them attribution. Number three is speak to their legacy. Were they leaving a footprint? And we're all trying to leave a footprint. This information shadows, these digital Mm. verbose casted shadows that we leave, these perpetual memories, you know, Mm. Facebooking, tweeting, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's who we are. Mm. It's actually on an elementary basis. This is who we are. We just want to be loved. Mm. And technology's pervasiveness has resulted in this enormous expression. Mm. And business leadership today needs to understand that don't understand the bits and the bites understand that i absolutely love that and and, you know it's something i'm very passionate about is the altruistic culture and and building that that co-creation and that collaboration because that's where true innovation happens when you have diversity and parity and everybody can be on one goal and solve a problem together i like that disparity It's, it's creating human coral reefs oh that's what we need to be doing yeah I love that. Oh, my goodness. Well, the real staff at Macy, please turn up. We are super excited. We're having such an amazing um, talk with um, talking to staff at regarding the future, where we're heading um, with technology, but also with humans and empathy and how we build altruistic cultures and, and co-creating. And it's really super exciting to, to hear from um, staff at where the future is going. Um, Stafford, tell, tell me, what is your views on AI? Debunk the myths, because I think there's a lot of buzzwords going around, and I think it is a topic that's on everybody's lips at the moment. Right. I think AI, we need to take a step back. I think, uh, you know, when we talk about artificial intelligence, we always mention it in a singular, in a, in a, in a singular manner. Mm. We talk about Watson, you know, doing radiological dissemination of you know, x-rays and things. We talk about blues playing chess against Kasparov, and we say, that's AI. But that's not how intelligence works in the real world. If you take a look at nature, um, we see disparate species of intelligences coalescing, coagulating, and creating ecosystems. And I think that's, you know, it's collective intelligence. It's not an intelligence. Um, people are waiting for the big, you know, hell, the computer to come along and take over our jobs, etc. That's not AI. AI is plural. AI is, is harnessing disparate uh, capabilities, intelligences for a particular job function, etc. When you start looking at AI that way, then you start seeing it in a different manner. Also, AI is not a displacement of human 
um, capability. AI is an augment to human capability. You know, the best chess player in the world is not, you know, blue playing against Kasparov and beating him. The best chess player in the world is a grandmaster hooked up to an AI. It's called a centaur. You actually get leagues now where grandmasters are augmented by artificial intelligence engines mm-hmm. um, and they play against another grandmaster and that's called a centaur. And you get centaur leagues and it's quite fascinating. The best radiologist in the world is not a computer s- Watson doing medical stuff in the corner. It is actually a doctor mm-hmm. plus Watson combined. And that human-machine symbiosis um, when you start looking at it that way, then you start seeing more pos- possibilities. So um, AI, the way leadership looks at it, I mean, business leadership, I always see, I always tell folks, we're waiting for that rogue AI to come along. We're already dealing with it. Mm. The rogue AI of Wall Street. Um, there was a guy that came along, Milton Friedman, and he gave this AI a fitness function. So he gave our markets, and our markets are disparate species of intelligences, right? It's companies listing, it's yeah, all the technology, etc. And Milton Friedman came along and he said, well, the sole responsibility of an organization is to derive value for its shareholders. And he gave uh, this thing a fitness function, and he said, that's your function. And the problem with that is he was right at the time, and, and you, there was a very capitalistic view of the world, and that was okay. But what we have now is a runaway objective function associated with that. So what we see is CEOs running organizations and doing more because of artificial intelligence and computing exception automation with less mm. which you shouldn't be doing the opportunity that ai presents to you as a ceo is to do things that were previously unimaginable yes because when you have human machine bio symbiosis it allows you to to to, to create a disparate portfolio of capability and services which uh, augments your business and mm. makes your business better if you look at amazon you know, they've employed tens of thousands more robots over the last 18 to 24 months. And look at their employee count. You see 150 to 200,000 more sure. employees. Amazon's not doing more with less. What Amazon is doing is they're doing things that were previously unimaginable. You know, getting a package within an hour in downtown Manhattan. You click a button on a website, you buy something, and within an hour it arrives at your door. That's doing what was previously unimaginable. And that's what we have to do now. AI requires us to, to, it requires us to reimagine. Mm. And I think that's the opportunity for leadership. And, and, and if we continue going down the path and we don't rethink the fitness function of our organizations, of our society, of our governments, then AI's impact will be detrimental to society. Mm. We will see, I love what someone says, they say like technology and AI is our superpower um, and inequality is our kryptonite. Sure. Uh, that is, yeah. that, you know, th- that's so true because if we don't watch out, if we don't reimagine, if we don't think about the new possibilities, then we will land up in a situation where Mark Zuckerberg is in right now. You know, mm. Zuck, look at Zuckerberg. You mean connectivity? He started off with connectedness and connecting humankind and bringing us together, and that was his objective function, his fitness function of his organization. But now he's like, you know, like Mickey Mouse. Remember yeah. Mickey Mouse in Fantasia when he calls the broom? And he asks the broom to fetch water. And the broom keeps fetching water, keeps fetching water, keeps fetching water. And then he wakes up and he's in an ocean of water. And he's flicking through the wizard's book <laughs> trying to undo the... Fi- that's, that's Mark Zuckerberg. He's sitting, yes, on this, exactly he's sitting on this ocean trying to undo yeah. a lot. And I think we, we keep seeing this. You know, Google's in the same situation, etc. So <coughs> that's a metaphor for our economy. Mm. That's a metaphor for governance and governments and the public sector moving forward. We've got to watch what our fitness functions are. And we've got to reimagine our fitness functions. Tim O'Reilly has come out with a book called uh, WTF, 
Oh, yes. And it's a brilliant book, and it speaks to this, is that, you know, we used to move around in the world thinking that the world was all we saw. If you take a look at the first map of California, it imagined California as an island. Mm. And then the Jesuit priest actually mapped out California and said, no, it was actually not an island, etc. So we, we need to do the same thing. We need to change the maps. We need to change our taxonomy. We need mm. to think about things differently. We can't see humans as things that we can do less of. Mm. We can see humans augmented with AI doing more of. Mm. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's a, it's a, I don't, it could be dystopian. We yes. could land up in a dystopian yes. future. But, but we don't have to. Mm. You know, if we, if we land up where AI does take all our jobs and we land up in this dystopia then it won't be because of AI. It will be because of a lack of imagination mm. on our part. Mm. That's how we land up. So, so AI, yeah. So AI, um, there is no AI yet. Mm. There is no AI of AIs yet. Um, and if you start to, I mean, I'm using AIs and I'm renting AIs. You know, AI will be like electricity. Mm. You know, we, the way we used to electrify things and we gave us this entire, everything you see around you, the mic, the, the clothing that you wear. The, I mean, um, electrification gave us the ability to drill through mountains and create railways and build industries and make elevators that take us up into the sky. That's electrification. We now live in a world of cognification. Correct. So as much as things will be electrified, they will now be cognified. So we moved from sitting on a horse and riding a horse very fast. I'm talking about that one single horsepower. Then we made you sit on your bum and you pushed your foot back and forth. And we gave you 250 horses, right, to 500 horses. Now you climb in and you gain access to, you know, 500 mines in the car. It's a coagulation. It's an orchestration of disparate species of intelligence. That's Uber. Mm. Uber is that. And you get into Uber. Uber isn't transportation. Uber isn't all this. Uber is AI. Yes. Uh, but that's a personification. It's, it's spatial awareness. It's geospatial awareness. It's, it's a phone with intelligence. It's the network intelligence. It's all of those things orchestrated together, and it gives you Uber. You know, and that, that's, if you start looking at AI in a plural manner, then you start seeing new possibilities all the time. So I, I utilize it today. Um, to do facial analysis. Um, it's incredible how powerful AI is for mm. facial analysis. But, you know, the more and more we play with these tool sets and the more and more I employ them in the startups that I'm engaged in, the more and more I realize how much power we have and it's very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. You know, things like legislation hasn't caught up to the capabilities that we have today. Yeah. Law yeah. hasn't caught up. I mean, I yeah. can do things. I can yeah. mine people's faces. I could cross-reference it. I could do what Zuckerberg's doing right now. Mm. And there is no legislator out there that will understand what I've done, just like they don't understand what Zuckerberg's done. Correct. So what I'm trying to do, and I spoke about this at University of Johannesburg the other day to a bunch of students. I'm trying to teach these up-and-coming engineers, you know, computer scientists, electrical engineers, uh, we need to self-enforce a code of ethics. Yes. Have some values around mm. your vision and have some morality mm. and watch your fitness function because you don't want to be Mickey sitting yes. on the book, you know, with the wizard's book paging on the ocean that's swallowing you up. And, and that's very real and very possible today. Mm. So, yeah, AI is a, it's a beautiful thing. It's, um, it's not one thing. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a set of things. And, um, yeah, we, we're not too late. Mm. But, but any new startup, if you want to know what the next 10,000 startups are, take any idea and add AI. That's yeah. the next 10,000 startups. Because we're moving into a world of cogni cognification yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, you know what I love about, about what you're saying is, is 
um, I, I recently wrote an article specifically around the fact is why do we have to wait for legislation to tell us what to do? Mm-hmm. We really need to start thinking of what is the right thing to do. The same if you look at um, the protection of personal information, um, GDPR and mm-hmm. all of these kind of things is that we really need to find ways of, of just doing the right thing. I mean, yeah. if, if your daughter, if you, would you like your daughter mm-hmm. to go through what a um, woman has gone through for so many years? Why? Why have to wait for legislation for this rise to happen in order to make it right? right. Those kind of things. So I totally agree with you. But look, it will, it will take out. What I always say about AI, AI from a jobs perspective, mm. I think we've got to reimagine things. Because if you, I, I love this example. There was, I was at this conference and someone did a keynote and a guy got up. And he shared the story, and I and I knew him, and the story is brilliant. He said, um, "We put uh, an automating robot onto a factory floor, and when we did that, we didn't tell the workers what this thing was all about. So we put it down on the floor, mm. and the workers hated it. So they vandalized it, they kicked it over. And one particular person was very angry at this robot because they all interpreted it as a thing that was going to take over their jobs. And he kicked it over, and he vandalized it, and he hit it, and, and they caught him on CCTV camera. And what the guy did was instead of coming up against the guy and being angry back at him he sat down with him and he said why did you do that and he said well this thing's going to take our jobs it can do things faster than us it can pack faster than us etc etc and and that's exactly so just the future anything that can be measured in efficiency and productivity Mm. machines will do that yes anything yeah a machine will do that better always but that's okay because humans should not be doing the efficiency and productivity things anyway yeah we meant for a higher purpose yes AI gives us the ability to move from a 40, 50 hour work week to maybe a 10 hour work week. The future of humanity is saying, what are we going to do with all our free time? Yeah. But that's an okay thing because if you take a look at history, I mean, let me just finish the story and I'll go back to that. But this guy, they sat down with him and said, why did you vandalize this robot? Why did you, he hated it, hated it. Then the, the guy said, but tell me about yourself. And he told him, well, I have a family. He says, what do you love? And the guy said, well, I, I, I play a particular musical instrument, and I'm trying to teach these kids while I go. And the guy said, okay, is that your passion? Is that your love? He said, yes. He said, do you love your job? He said, I hate my job. I'd rather be playing this instrument. I'd rather be doing that. You see, because of the fitness function of our economy, human beings are doing jobs that humans should not be doing, that they don't love doing. But because we haven't reimagined, we can't focus people on their passion. So there's so much latent work Mm. because of the problems that we have as humanity. We'll never run out of work until we run out of problems. We will run out of jobs the way we see it today, but that's okay. This is like, I mean, I have the slide that I do in my presentations, and it's a kaleidoscope. It's a mosaic of 1910 to 1909 child labor. Oh, yeah. You don't ever want to go back there. No. Okay, because in in the 1900s, 98% of human population worked in the agricultural sector. Right? We worked in the agricultural sector. Automation came along. Kids went to school, got new skill sets, and they got moved out of 100 work hour weeks. And they got put into schools. And instead of chasing calories by hard laboring in ground, we imagined recipes. Mm. And automation took all that crap away. And here we are on the creativity side with recipes, etc. With clothing, Ned Ludd and the Luddite Revolution. He hated that, etc. But that was okay. Let the looms do that. Uh, commoditize the weaving of textiles. That was okay. Mm-hmm. Humans shouldn't be doing that horrible job. What we should be imagining is fashion. Mm-hmm. That's our purpose. We have a higher calling. So the notion of AI in the future is that humanity can stop doing what it shouldn't be doing in the first place yeah. today. 
so we can focus on our passions. Mm. And when we start focusing on our passions, we create more work and we create broader industries. If you were to go back to the 1900s and tell a farmer about a yoga instructor, he'd look at you exactly <laughs> like you're looking at me now. Right? The jobs that are coming, yeah. we can't imagine right now, but we've got to start reimagining. We've got to do what in 1909, a bunch of Iowa farmers did. Mm. They got together and said, our kids can't do this anymore. And we, f- we saw for the first time the formalized high school movement. So it's not going to happen on a governmental basis. It's not going to happen organization. It's going to happen with us mm. on a family basis, on a localized basis. I sit on the board of Advertech and I watched education being rebooted around us. The skills that the kids are learning are not applicable. But, but that's not, you can't just sit back and go, so what do we do? You've got mm. to do it on a local level. Give your mm. kids new skills. So the new skills, if your kid's going to do anything that can be measured by efficiency and productivity, that child will not have a job in the future. Our job as humanity is for a higher function, a higher role. Mm. We do stuff that wastes time. We do scientific research. Mm. We do creativity. We imagine. That's where we should be. Let the machines do all this crappy stuff because we shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Totally love. And it's almost like you're going back into the Renaissance era. This is where all the wonderful things happened and all the creativity was unleashed. And that's exactly where we want to get um, as a human race. And I think we need to get back to the point where we teach creativity because that is just removed from us from a very young age once you get into the system. So I see a blend. I see a blend of the arts and the sciences and the maths. Mm. And I mean, uh, Walter Isaacson just wrote a book, Leonardo da Vinci. Everyone should read the book. Everyone should read it. What's Leonardo da Vinci by okay. Walter Isaacson. It just shows who he was and, and that, what he was back then as what we are called to be as humanity moving forward. Love it. I wish we had more time. I feel deprived. <laughs> I want to spend more time with you. Okay. In tradition now, we're going to have to go um, into our one-minute game. I'm going to ask you 10 questions as quickly as possible, and you need to try and get them all answered. Okay. On your marks, get set, Go. What is the biggest faux bar you've ever made in business? There's too many. I've made too many. <laughs> okay. No internet for a month or no brushing of the teeth for a month? No internet for a month. I could do with that. Okay. Who do you love more, Alexa, Siri or Bixby? Right now, Alexa. Okay. Are you more of a hunter or a gatherer? Uh, gatherer. I don't like killing things. Okay. If anymore. You, anymore. <laughs> uh, if you were on an island and could only bring three things, what would you bring? Uh, three things. Yeah. I would bring, oh my goodness, three things. My phone. Yeah. Do I have connectivity on the island? Uh, yeah. That's one of those questions. <laughs> I'd bring my wife, my phone, and my children. Okay. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Who would play you in a movie of your life? Who would play me? Yeah. Oh my God, that's a good question. Uh, Will Smith. Okay. What is the most interesting conversation you've ever had with somebody important? Um. Ah, we're gonna let you answer it anyway. It's too many. It's too many. I've had so many conversations with so many great people. I, I met Barack Obama once. You did? Yes, I did a speech and he was in the audience and he came up to me and he said something beautiful to me and he said, "Promise me one thing uh, that you won't come to America." And I said, "Okay." And he said, "Because." Africa needs you more. <gasps> that's what he told me. And he left. That's just a single, yeah, that's the single thing he told me. Goosebumps. So don't come to America because Africa needs you more. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now I feel I have to ask you other questions because time's up. But anyway, mm-hmm. do you have any phobias? I'm a germaphobe. I don't like touching. I don't like shaking hands. Sorry. <laughs> I don't like shaking hands. I don't like touching handles of doors. I can't. I just, I don't know why. I just a complete germaphobe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who is your mentor? Do you have one? Do you believe in it? Literature. Okay. And life. 
literature and life with my mentors. Closing off, I am happy when? I have all my children around me. And we just talking about life. That's when I'm my happiest. My wife and my children, when they're around me. I feel content. I feel complete. I feel that nothing else really matters in the world. Beautiful. At the very moment. Beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, Stafford, it was lovely meeting yeah, you. Lovely you. having you in studio. Yeah. And I hope that this is not the last time. Um, we just want to thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, we'll stay in touch. Subscribe to the Carmen Murray Show podcast on iTunes, Google Play, CastBox or Stitcher and never miss an episode. Rate us so you can help other people find it. We would like to thank Brand Life Radio for the innovative container studio and for making this show possible. And listen in to the other shows on www.brandlife.co.za. We would also like to thank Solid Gold Studios for managing all of the podcast portals and for Creative Chalk for the creative artwork. Join us next week as we continue this journey to get you future fit.